Hey everybody, it is, it's me, it's your old buddy Steve Simonson and I'm back here again. This is actually two days in a row and uh, I'm recording awesomers.com episode number 197 and uh, what does that mean? That means you just go to awesomers.com slash 197. Now I'm testing some new equipment. Yesterday I had some issues with my older laptop so I'm, we've got another Mac in the office here and I'm testing this one out. And uh, if you guys can hear me or you happen to be watching, please uh, let me know if you can hear and everything's, uh, everything's okay. Um, I want to make sure that we don't have any uh, bugs. We've got uh, a couple things happening with uh, some of our broadcasts and so forth uh, over the course of this week. Some public like this one, others private. Uh, and I just want to uh, get some some testing done out there. So I'll try to make this test worthwhile to you as well. And I was going to go and just answer some of the questions that I see being asked uh, on a couple of these various uh, websites that, that I follow. So uh, from time to time, I'll go to LinkedIn or Facebook or what have you, and I'll find uh, different questions. And I, I like to say there's no question too stupid to ask. And then I read some of the Facebook groups and I realize, oh, no, <laughs> there are many questions that are too stupid to ask. Uh, for example, if you can just go to Seller Central and type in help and find the answer in about two seconds, don't bother asking the group for it. Right. Maybe there's some level of personal accountability where you can just say, you know what, I'm going to search the Google machine before I go ask the Facebook group to to walk me through simple operations and I'm talking about things like what well, how do I set up an account or how do I you know click this or click that uh, if, if you've done all that and you, and it's not clear to you then asking for help is reasonable but boy I see a lot of people just kind of reflex action the the uh, so-called knee-jerk reaction is for them to just go ask somebody else to do the work for them and I'll just tell you that ain't awesome not awesomer. That is the behavior of a normie. And if you want to get out there and you want to have some fun and make some money, you're going to have to learn to, to solve problems for yourself. So uh, now there are that doesn't mean that Facebook groups or LinkedIn or, or any of the rest of these types of things. I've seen Telegram, all kinds of different uh, ways of communicating. Doesn't mean you shouldn't ask people for help and 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 uh, particularly where it's complicated or complex or or what have you. So. That's that's what I look for. I, I say bring me the hardest problems, but bring me the stuff that that you can't find another resource for, or that the Google machine can't help you with, or <laughs> the least helpful but still has information, the seller central help section. If you if you can't get past that hurdle, you might not make it in this business. And that reminds me of the old Jeff Foxworthy, you know, you might be a redneck if. Well, you might not be an entrepreneur if. You can't search and figure out how to uh, open up an LLC, or uh, you might not be an entrepreneur if you can't figure out how to cross the, the smallest bridges all by yourself. Fundamentally, being an entrepreneur is solving problems, and, and those problems start from simple, and I say simple, that doesn't mean easy. So a simple problem, for example, is what's a UPC code, how do I get one, and how does it relate to my product? The first time you try to deal with the UPC, it's a weird thing, right? You, you're like, all right, well, I, I have this code, and Amazon has got an FN SKU, and then I have my own internal SKU number that I call it. Which one of these maps? And the answer is, for an item, they all could map, right? We, we have, um, and I'm doing a little 
uh, rabbit hole here on SKUs and UPCs to, to say that a simple sounding problem and relatively uh, easy to solve isn't a slam dunk for somebody who's brand new. And I'm okay with that. I'm not even criticizing that. What I am saying is if you don't bother trying to do any of this research on your own, I think you're in for some tough sledding. Being an entrepreneur is not easy. I, I've been uh, ranting about this recently. And by the way, if you're online, uh, give me a big hello. Tell me where, where you're from and who you are and so forth. Let me see if I can find the comments. Uh, I want to make sure the audio is working okay. Yesterday I had an audio issue. And uh, forgive me, I'm looking at all my different screens. So as you see, my eyes dart around. Uh, I have lots of screens to look at. But uh, let me know who you are, where you're from, so I can make sure that all my equipment's working. Uh, anyway, my rant was, uh, you know, I have so many rants these days. Uh, it was focused on the idea that things, you know, have to be done by entrepreneurs that are that nobody else is willing to do, basically. Uh, entrepreneurs have a hard job. This is not passive income. Uh, at least not the stuff that I do. If you find that passive income panacea, uh, you know, best of luck to you and kudos to you. I haven't found it yet. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've been pitched many, many uh, things. There's Kimberly. Hello, Kimberly. Welcome. Nice to see you online here. Uh, and uh, by the way, let me know if you guys have uh, the, the, e the uh, not the email. Sorry, Brant. I was reading your thing. Um, let me know if you can hear my audio okay. And Abby from Spain. Oh, actually, I can do this stuff. I forgot. Hey, there's Kimberly. Look at she got a nice smile. Um, Brian asked me a question. So thank you, Brian, for getting in here. Um, and it says, hello, I have home and kitchen and travel luggage. I haven't received email. So uh, Brian, tune in tomorrow to the Product Savants. That's tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time. We'll have some updates for you. And I can tell you. That's primarily focused on uh, products of uh, VIP customers like yourself. Uh, we've got a, a ton of things happening. We might even show you some charts and things, but literally dozens and dozens of uh, uh, products in, in development. But the truth is they don't get all the way down to the bottom very often because we have quite high standards and it's a, quite a complex problem. Uh, thank you guys for the audio checks here. Uh, Abby from Spain, hello. Uh, I don't know. There, it wouldn't call you a Facebook user. There's some little setting you have to click, I guess, for for uh, StreamYard. I think this is the app that I'm using. And StreamYard is very convenient, by the way. Uh, I have no uh, affiliate program or whatever, but they're they're pretty convenient to get things done. So welcome, one and all. Uh, Abby from Spain, Bryant. I don't know where you're out of right now, Bryant. Uh, you can let us know. And uh, Kimberly, I think you're down in LA if my memory serves me. So welcome one and all, and thank you guys for the audio check-ins. That's very helpful to me. So, all right, so what's on my mind today? So what's on my mind is a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm being crushed under the, the amount of things that I have. And so this is actually one of the ways that I work out uh, some of the anxiety that occurs in my life. I just come on here and I talk to you guys, and it actually helps me to talk to you and hear some of the things you're dealing with because especially if I've dealt with the problem or have uh, some answers to that problem, it helps me to go, oh, well, when I face that, here's what I did or here's my idea or I don't know exactly, but here's an instinct. That helps me get the creative juices flowing. And that's something I miss, uh, again, not going to various events and things like that. So, uh, hey, there I see my old buddy over here. 
Dima, hey, buddy, good to see you. Nice to see you online there. And I think, Dima, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're down in Florida. So welcome. Welcome to you as well. So Q4 is on my mind. Um, the Amazon Prime Day is on my mind. Uh, FBA storage is on my mind. There, uh, HR is on my mind. I have some interviews today where I'm hiring, uh, trying to hire people, and uh, managing, uh, you know, a far-flung team is on my mind. All of these things are kind of, uh, kind of waiting down on me. And then, uh, like Bryant mentioned earlier, we've got a ton of customers in different business units. Uh, obviously, Product Savants being one of those businesses. And uh, Kevin King and I and my team were working whew, around the clock, literally 24 hours a day. Not me personally, but the, the team as a whole. There's not an hour in the day where we're not working on stuff for products Savants with uh, the multitude of people we have assigned to it. There's other projects that we have going, like uh, the Empowery uh, Co-op. Melissa's uh, working that thing around the clock amongst her colleagues. Uh, I've got Simo Global. I've got a new company called fourvikings.com where we're manufacturing stuff in Wisconsin. Uh, we've got something uh, down, uh, we call it Epic Brands, uh, Ethical Profits in Crisis, where we're, we're selling all kinds of stuff. Uh, I was looking around here. You know, I've got N95 masks, by the way. That, that's something that we, we have a, a ton of. And, you know, we're, we're in the world of smoky wildfire west. Man, we need uh, we need these things. Regardless of how you feel about masks for the pandemic, you gotta have them for the bloody smoke. I have not seen the sun outside. I, I almost could see it today. I just looked out the window, uh, but I haven't seen the sun in nearly a week. It is remarkably smoky. It's it's like being fogged in um, and cloudy all the time, and there's actually no clouds. It's it's uh, quite remarkable. Bryant is down in Mexico. Hey, that is cool, Bryant. I actually was thinking of going down to Mexico. Um, in Mexico, maybe uh, somewhere in the Caribbean, and uh, just hanging out, maybe getting a house, having a little mastermind, because I miss uh, hanging out with folks. And I, my thought with the mastermind is just, you know, everybody get a COVID test, and then uh, we'll hang out. Uh, Dima says, uh, can't imagine how you handle so many projects at the same time. Well, Dima, I can't imagine it either. <laughs> it's a nightmare. No, the truth is, uh, a I have too many things going. That's that's true, and that's that's partly me not saying no enough. So I am taking steps to to get rid of some of those uh, um, some of the things that I like doing the least. So those things are short uh, that have short lifespans. But my my core team, they won't go anywhere, right? My core team, they they are always with me and they always uh, work. And, you know, we have a philosophy. And I, I actually want to share this with you guys, get your input. We think of basically almost everything that has more than one step to it as a project. So I'll give you an example. Um, if we're going to close the books, right? So every month you should close your financial books so that you can generate cash flow statements, uh, profit loss statements, balance sheets, et cetera. And that should be done at the same time every month. And there's a series of steps that needs to happen at this, you know, same time every month. And so you have this project, close the books, and it repeats monthly. And there are same set of tasks that need to go on. And those tasks can be assigned to different people. And honestly, that's how we think of everything. We don't, at least I personally, 
I can't keep it all in my head. I'm, uh, I have a terrible memory for that stuff. And so the projects then within the project, people can go and they can assign various tasks to different people. We can see the percentage of completion on certain projects. We can attach files to the projects. Uh, we can send emails, you know, if we have to, but most of the time we just can comment. So we can tag each other in comments and go, hey, Dima, um, I have this question about the, you know, this invoice in the financial statements. I can't close until I have this question answered. And you put in the links, you can even drag and drop uh, photos and, and examples. So that actually, um, that takes a lot of work, but the project management system helps synthesize it all down into something that you can have a dashboard on and it makes it a heck heck of a lot easier. And if you guys have interest in that, I could demonstrate it later on this week, how project management, project philosophy, and I'm talking about long-term projects, some that just kind of have a really long lifetime, and then others that are just, you know, start and end, uh, have a finite timeline, but they're all defined by tasks to complete the projects. And that is, um, that, anyway, that's just a part of a management uh, philosophy, and that's the only way to keep track. Um, I'm going to guess this This is still Abby, but I don't know, um, over there from Spain. So uh, Abby says, that sounds like a lot of projects. How many people on your team? <laughs> the answer is I don't actually know. Um, it's more than one and less than a 1,000, uh, and it's some number in between there. That much I can tell you. Um, yeah, so nobody, uh, Abby, I think, follows up with no one can keep it in their mind. And um, what project management system are you using? So we are focused on the parsimony.com system. So this parsimony is a full ERP system. And just full disclosure, that's a, a company that I uh, founded with Michael Pankowski. And we actually took an open source core with a beautiful set of underlying code. And then we've built all these enhancements around it for 3PLs, for uh, Amazon MWS, full like when we import into our ERP system for MWS, we don't just get orders because you can get that anywhere. We don't just get delivery notes or tracking info. You can get that anywhere. We don't just get all the little particulars. We get every piece of data. We know every warehouse. We know how much stock is in every FBA warehouse. We know which order ships or when an order ships, we know where the inventory came from. And so you get a fully reconciled uh, MWS statement from MWS sales all the way through to settlements. Really, it's it's kind of like financial accounting ready to be 100% settled on that side of the equation right out of MWS. That's something special that we built, and it's quite expensive. And Amazon keeps changing stuff, so it makes it difficult. So that's one tiny example. We also have scraping to keep track of where our products are. We also have um, uh, a really cool uh, SOP. So I would love to get you guys input on this. So how would you like it if you could have an SOP? So it, it told you inside of your app, hey, here's how you close the books, or here's how you um, try to squash a negative review, or here's how you launch a new product, right? If you have all that kind of lined up, and the SOPs integrated with the, the project management system and task management system. You have Gantt charts, you have calendars, you have all that stuff. But let's just say the SOP said, well, you know, this step you need to go over to Seller Central. Well, we actually have a Chrome app that will follow you in Seller Central and still tell you what to do. And if you make inputs into that 
uh, Chrome extension, it puts it in the ERP system for you automatically. It's actually quite brilliant. Uh, and that's that's just a few examples. So we don't open uh, everything up to everybody because a lot of it we just give away for free. There's a lot of people just running the parsimony free forever version. And obviously, <laughs> I spend a lot of money making stuff, so I can't give all the good stuff away for free. But that's the kind of stuff that we really believe in. Uh, so uh, I'll do a demo maybe of some of these features uh, later on this week if you guys uh, show interest. So let's talk about a little Amazon. First of all, if you guys have questions, that trumps the general uh, outsiders. But let's let's talk about some of the questions that I've been seeing that uh, deserve at least some consideration and perhaps some conversation. Um, so first of all, I see this all the time, especially from newer uh, sellers, and they say, "Hey." Has anybody had the experience of removing negative reviews? And every time we get a negative review, it's a bother. Uh, we don't like it. It's, uh, I'm going to have to sneeze. Hang on. Maybe. No, I can't make it happen. Um, so negative reviews suck. We don't like them. But there's hardly anything we can do about them. And then they... <laughs> We always do our own kind of Monday morning quarterback. It's like, well, that negative review, that could be a competitor. We go look at their profile. It's like, oh, they only left one-star reviews on items in this category. That's clearly a competitor. There's any number of possibilities. And by the way, your product could suck and they could be a competitor. Uh, the, both things could be true at once. But in general, if you are selling something worthwhile, and you know it's clear to the customer then you, over time those negative reviews will be offset by positive reviews um i know that if your review ranking goes down it, it's terrible it's no fun but this is where asking people for positive reviews using the amazon system by the way don't uh, get creative is probably a worthwhile so is there a way to remove negative reviews that's within Amazon Terms of Service? That's a pop quiz. If you are paying attention at home and playing along, feel free to put in your favorite thing behind, uh, you know, your favorite way to remove negative reviews, if you like. Uh, and I will disclose for you in a moment how we <laughs> cope with it. Let's put it that way, how we cope with it. Uh, so uh, let me just see here. Uh, do, 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 do. Okay, so uh, I can tell you that there's a lot of people who promise they can get rid of negative reviews, many of which have been publicized here recently, and they are doing things in very uh, skullduggerous ways. Is that a – can I make that into a phrase? They're using skullduggery uh, and applying either Amazon Insiders or other things to, to basically break the Amazon uh, rules. And I can just tell you that you, your, main, your main concern here is getting rid of the review because it'll interrupt your sales, it'll slow your sales down uh, because conversion rate goes down if your star ranking falls you know, for each star ranking. But it would be far worse to be suspended. And Amazon knows what's up. They, they, they may not be cracking down on it. That doesn't mean they, it's a tacit approval of what's happening. So I'd be very careful of relying on people who say they can get rid of negative reviews um, and just be be very cautious about that concept. I don't think it is uh, a good thing. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't take screenshots. It doesn't mean you shouldn't build a case around somebody you think is manipulating reviews. 
and hurting you to a downside. We know, for example, um, actually there's a really great MSNBC interview the other day. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find it here while I'm talking. But the other day, uh, my buddy um, Bernie, I saw him on the, the TV, MSNBC, um, Amazon Reviews. And they were talking uh, basically about um, how Amazon is being manipulated. All right, why Amazon has a fake review problem. So I'm going to I'm gonna post this link. It's a YouTube link into the comments. And forgive the YouTube autoplay there. Uh, and for, for everybody who's watching live, you'll be able to see this. If you are listening to the audio recording later, then just go search for um, why Amazon has a fake re review problem. It's about a 16-minute video, but it was uh, an insightful piece. Sometimes the media gets – well, sometimes they're just wrong. Sometimes they're uh, you know, not great at it. But in this case, they got a lot of sources. Uh, uh, a number of uh, friends are in there. I think James Thompson was in there. I think uh, Bernie was in there. Um, I, th I, I recognize at least another one or two of their sources. Um, and and so I, I highly recommend you guys watch that because it helps at least makes you feel better that you're not alone in the negative review uh, business. You know, sometimes that happens and we deal with it the best way we can. Ultimately, I don't think there is a way to, to get rid of negative reviews that's within Amazon's terms of service. I just don't. Uh, unless there are things that are against Amazon terms of service like swearing or you know other types of things. But in general, it's very hard to get rid of reviews. So uh, I pasted the link in. Uh, and if you haven't, if you can't find it or you're listening to the audio recording later, why Amazon has a fake review problem, just go to YouTube and search for that. You can watch it anytime. Uh, okay, so uh, Kimberly says, I personally don't want to do everything, nor do I want to learn everything. I want a team to handle it. <laughs> and she says she needs a William. And that's a hilarious inside joke, everybody. So William is uh, one of my team, senior team leaders in China, and he really is handling a lot of stuff for him. Um, one of the one of the challenges when you have managing people is even your best people that come and they'll ask you to solve a bunch of problems. And for the last few months, I've just said to William and to Sherry and to all, all of my senior team, Jessica and, and the rest, um, hey, I don't know how to solve this. You go solve it. Here's the outcome we want. Let me know how it goes. Let me know how it works out. And of course, document the the whole thing in the project management system so we can learn for it from it. This is how you actually gain something we call institutional knowledge. And maybe if you've only run your own companies, you guys haven't heard of this concept, but the, the company, the institution itself gathers knowledge and gathers experience, even as there's turnover from time to time, by documenting things, by solving things, and, and so on and so forth. So um, Kimberly's right. Um, everybody needs a William. And and multiple Williams at that. So uh, thanks for thanks for the shout out for William. He'll be thrilled uh, to hear it, uh, Kimberly. Uh, Kimberly, by the way, was I think we went on a trip to China last year, uh, last fall for the Canton Fair. We went up to Iwu and kind of explored Hong Kong and China before the world went nuts. But possibly while uh, the COVID was being developed, I wonder if we were there when COVID was first out. It's a good question. 
So anyway, that's that's a quick one on reviews. Let me go back and see what other uh, questions I, I found interesting. Um, okay, one of the things that I, I want to talk about is fulfillment. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, but when you if you have a fulfillment issue where you're you're stuck with a 200 unit limit on a on a new product, I definitely would consider using uh, a third party fulfillment center. I want you guys to really compare the cost. Now, first of all, just go to empowery.com. Uh, they can refer somebody to you who's already been vetted, um, and you can uh, email Melissa or empowery.coop.coop. Uh, it's a nonprofit member-owned cooperative who vets, you know, people and services for e-commerce companies and Amazon sellers in particular. And so they have, a, you know, a couple three PLs who've already gone through some of the vetting. And that doesn't mean that empowering vendors are perfect, right? Nobody's perfect, but it does mean they have a vested interest in making things right when things inevitably do go wrong. There, there's always going to be hiccups. And I have to say, in many ways especially for less experienced entrepreneurs, the level of um, expectation of perfection and unforgiveness is mind-blowing to me. I mean, I, I deal with people who, even at higher levels of experience, they're like, well, well, if they did that or if they made a call or an email like that, then that's a bad tone or about this or about that. And it's like, man, you're going to have to open yourself up to the world of humanity. We ain't all perfect. That doesn't mean you don't hold them to a high standard. That doesn't mean you lower your net expectations, but it does mean you consider context, right? If if somebody screws up once, you figure out, hey, what went wrong? Was there a systemic issue? You know, what actually happened? Are we going to prevent this problem from happening in the future? If all of that checks out and we can be happy about it, then let's move on with our lives and move on together. Now, if you have the same problem again and again, you have to make a change. That's I'm not arguing with that point, but uh, I, I would be, I would just make sure that you think of it in a, a bigger, bigger picture, longer term way. Uh, so anyway, there's a, there's a lot of 3PLs out there and the way they charge can be very, very tricky. I would line up everything from the, the, from the receiving time to the handling and storage time to the pick package ship time, right? Those three sections, inbound, holding and outbound. And really compare apples to apples because you will find some extraordinary differences. And I mean extraordinary. And the bigger the company is, the more the capabilities they have, but often the more onerous their fees and or their requirements are for you to comply with. So if you're not a big company and you don't have the, the wherewithal to you know, start putting UCC codes on your pallets, Raise your hand if you know what a UCC code is, or if you're putting UCC codes, you know, on your pallets without somebody else like Amazon doing it for you, right? That's that's a thing. And so, without having a, a greater understanding, I generally would say start with a smaller size uh, 3PL. But if you have a demand, uh, a buddy might need a 3PL, and his demand is, hey, this we may need to be able to ship a thousand units plus a day. Then you got to go to the larger, the larger scale folks, but you better be ready to be compliant with all the the different rules and restrictions. And I, I do want to make this one note, especially for Amazon sellers. You're not, uh, you're not going to want to miss this. If you think of a three PL as just kind of your, you just ship stuff whenever you want to them. 
without scheduling, you, you, you're fundamentally going to burn some bridges, right? A 3PL has limited inbound slots, uh, limited time to do pick and packs, right? There's limitations for all of that kind of stuff. And so I've had uh, one of the 3PLs I use, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I've got, I'm scheduling something or, I, or maybe I'm just coming by and they're like, hey, no problem, come by, but we're really busy. You know, we had one customer, they told us one container and they sent in three containers. And if you do that on the same time, then they don't have the crews set up and ready, right? Their, their crews are, and uh, resources are being applied elsewhere. So understand that scheduling is an important part. And as I've told that 3PL and others, there should be uh, clear requirements given to the sellers like yourselves and myself. And if we fail to meet those compliance, there should be penalties because that's the only way we learn. If, it, if there's no uh, money at the end of it, then we tend not to learn. It's like, ah, they'll just do me the favor. Ah, you know, it's inconvenient. I'm sorry, but they'll just have to suck it up. Um, and I'll give you an example. We have one of my uh, guys, Alex, in China. We're doing inspections. He's doing inspections every day of the week pretty much. But he's really only intended to work Monday through Friday. And I said, Alex, you know, I see you working a lot of Saturdays and, you know, we're paying for hotels and this and that. I'm like, what's up with that? And, and he said, hey, well, these factories, they keep scheduling shipments on Saturdays that, you know, I need to go inspect. And I'm like, well, tell them to stop, right? And, and the, the truth is we will lay down the law and say, if you can't schedule and give us advance notice and meet our Monday through Friday requirements 95% of the time, then we're going to start penalizing them. We'll start charging them for those Saturdays because if there's no penalty, then they just do whatever is most convenient to them. And that's uh, that's a fair thing, right? Our time is worth something, right? I can't have my guy working six days a week because factories are lazy and don't want to uh, schedule things in advance. The same thing applies to a 3PL. They are going to be pulling a bunch of overtime and maybe, you know, uh, doing things past the, the point of safety, you know, when it comes to ocean trucks and uh, forklifts and this and that, because things weren't scheduled. So be a, a good planner and be uh, somebody who is part of the solution instead of part of the problem. So again, that was a semi rant. Uh, I've turned 50 years old, everybody. Uh, and so I figure I can just rant as much as I want now. Um, you know, I tell the kids, get off my lawn. Uh, I talk about the way in the old days, how it used to be. So all of these are rants, and now I'm just going to be full-time ranting. Uh, I see a question coming in from Kim. Uh, Kimberly says, can you give some average pricing comparison for us? So the, the truth is, Kimberly, I, I, I can't give you the, the, the individual prices because a lot of companies will say, oh, this pick-and-pack fee is really cheap. It's only a buck to do this but they're charging you money to bring it in or they're charging you um, onerous storage fees. And so you can't just look at one of those variables. You have to, and, and I say, let the free market decide, right? And I think, uh, Kimberly, uh, you certainly know Melissa and have access to all the empowering resources. Just ask her who, who she's got up her sleeve. And if you're shipping less than, let's say, 100 shipments a day, uh, and you you know you're shipping maybe once a week to bulk into fulfillment by Amazon FBA shipments, then I, I think you should pick a sm relatively small um, 
3PL. If you pick the giant ones, the public company on ones, you're going to be, well, you'll just hate it. Uh, I've, I've dealt with all of them. I still deal with a, a variety of them, but for different businesses, I pick different tools. And I use this analogy from time to time, which is uh, pick the right tool for the right job. If I'm going to chop down a tree, I don't go over there with a flathead screwdriver, right? You got to pick the right tool for the job. By the same token, if you decide, hey, listen, I've got a, um, a crowdfunding thing and I'm going to need to ship 10,000 items on a day for three days, then you got to go to the big guys. But that's also not a long-term play in that context. So what, what you need or what you want is uh, a big part of that equation. So analyze inbound, holding, and outbound at any 3PL, you'll understand. <laughs> Chuck has a little bit of a sarcastic response. He says, rants start at age 50? Uh, so he's either saying that's interesting news that I've uh, dropped a pearl of wisdom on him, or he's saying he's ranted since he was 18 or, or 20 or maybe since uh, he was a child. I don't know. Rants can happen at any age, but I just feel like I have license to rant full-time at 50 uh, and, uh, like I say, you know, you kids get off my lawn. That's just the beginning of my, uh, rent tune up. Uh, how many of you guys are getting suspensions? Do you guys get suspensions, uh, on your products or your accounts on a pretty regular basis? That seems to have mellowed out. Now <laughs> I'll be honest. I have some firsthand visceral, painful knowledge of items still being suspended for idiotic reasons for Amazon false flags for algorithmic stupidity um we have this one product uh that is uh in a restricted category but it's it's already been cleared multiple times but about every three weeks or so it, the amazon just kicks it out and it, it has just destroyed our sales momentum and it, it just happens again and again and this is one where amazon they have full uh responsibility for it they're screwing it up. And by the way, this hurts their customers because they don't get the visibility and awareness uh, of the product, which is meeting a huge need in the market. And it's killing our business, right? It's it's just absolutely destroying our business. So I, I'm not saying that suspensions have gone away or that Amazon suddenly has cured all the wo woes. But I am saying as a general rule, it appears that it's not quite as systemic a threat as it used to be. Uh yeah, so that's, uh, I think that's an open question. If you guys have uh, any experience on suspensions, let me know. Uh, I did see my buddy <clears throat> Paul Raffleson posted something about uh, Jeff Bezos' responses to the uh, the, the anti-monopoly stuff that's, that's happening. Uh, there's a various hearings. I can't get them all right. There's so many branches of government that all seem to be about as uh, – about as useful as a uh, uh, screen doors on a submarine, as they say. But in any case, uh, I, I've just started reading some of his responses. Maybe we'll do uh, a little bit of that uh, in the next day or two, talking about some of the, the stupid answers. The first 10 answers I read from the responses were completely innocuous, uh, dodging the question, and <clears throat> dare I say moronic. So... Uh, pardon me. So, uh, okay, let me take a look at some of these other questions that I get. Uh, let's see here. Uh, by the way, do you guys prefer to watch this stuff on YouTube or Facebook Live, or do you prefer 
um, listening to podcasts later. I'm just curious on your consumption and what you, what you like. Um, um, so stranded inventory, it's kind of a pain. You got to deal with it. Uh, I think most semi-experienced sellers have dealt with this at one time or another. It happens constantly. Deal with it. Um, don't let it stack up on you. Don't let it surprise you because bad surprises can happen. Hey, my buddy JB says, uh, <laughs> government monkeys trying to ride a grease football. Five monkeys. Yeah, so the government equals five monkeys trying to ride a grease football. I guess I didn't hit that line perfectly, JB, but uh, well said. I get it and agree. Uh, how, how do you guys like to pay your suppliers in China? I'm curious. Uh, assuming you have suppliers in China, but let's just say you have suppliers overseas. How do you pay them? How do you pay your U.S. suppliers? I'm curious about that too. Um, you know, we, we use kind of all of the above. It, it, it depends. We don't want to pay currency conversion fees where we don't have to. Um, by the same token, if it's advantageous for us to, to buy in, you know, renminbi, the China-based uh, yuan, then we will do that. So it, it kind of depends on how volatile we think the the commodity or the the currency will be for a certain situation. Uh, but we use everything from transfer wise to, uh, I can't even remember them all. There, there's there's a series of them for different businesses. Uh, but we don't like to just pay currency conversion uh, for no reason because if you can pay them in dollars and you have a fixed price in dollars that's that's pegged against the FX rate. So it floats with your your vendor based on the FX rate. Let them take the currency risk, and you can pay in dollars, and that way you don't have any currency conversion fees, and you just pay as cheap as you can. Um, JB says he pays with wires but doesn't love it. Uh, yeah, I feel you. Um, in some cases, we, we still will use wires as well if there's not a viable alternative. Uh, and wires are expensive, and you know transfer-wise is cheaper, but they have to go through an extra step or two. Some of it depends on the frequency you're paying and the, the amount of money you're paying and what percentage those fees are against the payment. Uh, in, in the more advanced relationships, you know, we'll ask the supplier to uh, share some of our costs if, if they're substantial. Uh, but most people should realize that the suppliers are paying $15 on the way in typically uh, as well. So in China, for example, it may cost me $30 or $40 to make a payment through the bank to China, and then they, they're also getting hit with about $15. And sometimes they send me a bill for it. And I'm like, uh, I tell you what, I'll trade you. I'll pay your $15. You pay my $30 or $40, whatever it is, and I will call it a day. So um, I think this might be Avi, our buddy from Spain, who says he pays via bank transfer or PayPal. So PayPal is hard. I, I rarely see PayPal unless it is – like, I don't see that in China very much. I see PayPal um, for smaller vendors or trading companies more often than I see it for factories. Doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Uh, I actually like the PayPal protection, uh, frankly. You don't have any protection with wires. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a lesson learned. So I was trying to source nitro gloves. This is back in May or maybe in the end of April. I need nitro gloves, right? And, and we already had some coming in, but I just needed more. I found a supplier in Poland, and I had somebody in Warsaw who could go check that out for me, and, and she was willing to do it and do me the favor. And I should have been patient and waited until she inspected the factory. 
but they delayed it a day or two. They delayed it a day or two, and I was uh, dealing with the bank anyway. So I'm like, ah, I'll just send them the deposit. It was only five or ten grand. Uh, I think it was fifty fifty six hundred roughly for a deposit on a test order. And the 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 long story short is that was fraud. They they were completely bogus, and so I got you know I didn't follow my own procedures, which protect me. And I got burned on that money, and there's really not much I can do about it. I can cry and and uh, complain, but the amount is so small. There's nothing I can do that is worth chasing that fifty five hundred bucks, which is also the only reason I rationalized sending it. It's like, yeah, it's a small amount of money. If it works, I'm a hero. If it doesn't work, I'm out fifty five hundred bucks. So I knew it was a risk. Uh, I assumed it was around a thirty percent risk going in. I talked about this a couple of months ago, but yeah, I got burned. And that's rare. I don't get burned very often. I, I one time I most of the time with our vendors we pay on terms, but in the PPE space like Nitro Gloves, there's no terms, right? Everybody's like, I want my money now. Uh, before we ship, before we book production time, I want my money. And that's starting to calm down somewhat, but it's still, particularly in gloves, it's still uh, troublesome. So it doesn't matter. You ain't getting credit, um, and so. You know, I, I I took the risk. In the old days, I I ordered some stuff from Thailand, made my half deposit, and uh, and a tsunami <laughs> wiped out that factory. So I lost that one too. But very rarely do I lose because we follow. We either have terms or we follow very rigorous procedures on validation of suppliers and and products and pre-inspection shipping or pre-shipping inspections and the like to really protect ourselves. So, uh, all right, so let's see here. Uh, JB Pop City says uh, he was able to negotiate wire fees being waived with Chase up to one per month, never hurts to ask. That's a very, very good point. Um, when you talk to your bank, you can definitely uh, often find ways of getting them to, to give you little things. Sometimes, I, I use Wells Fargo as an example, they don't want to give up on the wire fees or maybe they're not allowed to, but they'll give me credits in other areas that help offset that stuff. So it doesn't hurt to ask. I, I quite agree with you. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we all try to try to manage uh, those costs as best we can. You know, I, I definitely would tell you guys being conscious of your costs in business is very, very important right now. Very, very important indeed. Um, Okay, so if you guys have questions, uh, let me know. I'm just looking for a couple of the other notes that I popped up here. Um, let's see if I want to share this thing. I'm curious. Maybe I will share this, and let's just see if it's ready for public consumption. I don't want to show stuff and give away secrets that I'm not supposed to give away. I live under the the like a weight of... Uh, non-disclosure agreements that you cannot believe. So I always have to think to myself, who who's involved in this and what did I agree to? This one I think is 100% me, so I don't answer to anybody. Um, let's see here. I want to get rid of that. Bear with me. I'm I'm taking a look at something to see if, if this uh, concept will be something that you guys look at. And I'll, I'll introduce the concept here in a minute, so just bear with me. Okay. All right. So I'm going to try to share my screen. Um, if you guys are able to see the screen here in a minute, not yet. Wait for it. Do an Oprah. Wait for it. Uh, 
Chrome has lost permission to capture your screen. All right, well, that's not so helpful. All right, we're not going to do the screen share right now. So how about that? We're, we're <laughs> that's uh, one little test that failed on my, my little test here. Uh, let's see. Let me try this later. Okay. So, uh, oh, Abigail. Uh, well, it's very nice to see you. Uh, so Abigail, so thank you for the, the uh, correction there. Who's from Spain? She says, uh, nice to see engagement on Facebook, but podcast, nice to listen when you're out and about. I agree with that. Don't often listen to long Facebooks. Just happen to see you pop on, but it's late. Have to go soon. All right, good. Uh, nice to see you, Abigail. Thanks for joining us. And uh, obviously, you're welcome anytime. Uh, always, always welcome. So if you guys have questions, now's the time to, to get into it. I can't share my screen, so I'm going to save that for later on this week. If you are a Product Savants VIP customer, uh, don't hesitate to join Kevin King and I tomorrow at 11 a.m. We're going to have a special kind of roundup, uh, give you an update of where we are. We have... Uh, well, when I last saw, we have uh, dozens of products in the pipeline of production. And again, it's hard for them to all trickle through, but they've already passed, these dozens have already passed a bunch of uh, hurdles, let's say. And so that means it's a very positive thing. And in fact, I think we have a number of products that are going to be, uh, again, brought out live to the, the group. So uh, that's good stuff. Let me see if I can share this. Uh, screen. So we tried to share a Chrome screen. I'm going to try to share a keynote screen. Let me know if you guys can see that keynote screen there. Uh, I'll give it just one moment. If you're on the audio, obviously you can't see it, but if you are on the video, let me know if you can see that. And I will go. Nope, I'm going to go big for on the screen. Okay, JB says he can see it. All right, so just as a review, this is one of my my things I talk about. Uh, fairly regularly, which is how do we source products? First, we do some product discovery. This happened to be for a Helium 10 demonstration that I did earlier this year. But however you do product discovery, whether you're using the Helium 10 or something else, you get that product ideation, and then you put it into your, your project of sourcing, right? You develop some prospects. You, know, you define preliminary candidates. Um, then you have to test economic viability with those leading candidates. Then you, you know, kind of make the broad scope of a product outline. You're just trying to find things that will help you compete. What are some differentiators? What's the competition uh, negative review situation? What, what are some of those details? Uh, then you actually get down to the, the hardcore candidates. Then you, you, you know, develop those into prospects. You qualify them with requests for quote uh, functionality and, and uh, various things. And then you start doing your due diligence. And over time, you're building a, uh, a very nice supplier database that you can refer back to. And you go, hey, you know, I was looking at this guy, uh, this gal, whatever, this factory that didn't make the cut on a past item, but maybe they can help us on this new item. And if they get, if they get bounced, they are saved in our system but disconnected from that project. And then you move on uh, once you've made a selection of the, you know, your leading candidates, your final prospects. And let's say there's three of them, you request, you make a PO of actual purchase order for samples. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to get into the long details of why you need to use purchase orders, not just for samples, but for products as well. But you do. Please take my word for it. You do. Start using purchase orders as soon as you can. Um, and then you can track those purchase orders 
through the various, um, you know, either project management or uh, finance management, whatever tools that you have. Um, of course, you can consolidate your samples if you're, you're doing the sourcing, and then you can move into the evaluation of those samples, right? You got to see how does it look? How does it feel? Is this what you expected? Uh, what are the tweaks that need to be made? And you're always going to hear this from factories. This is a big deal, by the way. They say things like, uh, well, that's, a, that's not a production sample. That's just a, uh, a sample sample. You know, we made that for you custom. And so that's actually true. And there's some aspects of that that you say, okay, that's reasonable. But you have to be really careful because they don't send you a sample that they think you're going to turn down. Right. So if it looks to be good to be true or there's some aspect of it that you haven't identified in your in your purchasing purchase order, that means for the actual production run of your product, then you you run the risk of them making some changes. And so really be as as clear as you can about that sample and and articulate as best as you can every little aspect of it. The first version ain't going to be perfect. Version 1.0 never is. But 1.1, 1.2, by the time you're to version 2, 3, 4, it, you won't even recognize version 1. But you got to start somewhere. So don't try to be perfect. Don't try to seek perfection on day one. Uh, that will evolve and come to you over time. Once you've selected your winner, then you're kind of good to go. Um, you, can, you get your master samples. And if you guys don't have a good master sample process, please make a good master sample process. Um, you guys know what a master sample process is? You guys have the general gist of a master sample? I don't want to skip over it if you don't. Uh, but finally, once you, uh, you let me know in the comments. Uh, once you've made that selection and you've got your master samples uh, set up, then you make an item in your purchasing system and you move on to the purchase order and product introduction stage. Okay, so first of all, thanks for the... Uh, the replies that you guys could in fact see the screen and uh, let me just pop back in here and pretend like I'm hey I got a double rainbow everybody what does it mean um, okay so uh, JB says uh, I'm assuming he's answering my question he doesn't have a master sample process so here's what I recommend for everybody when you have a an identification of a winner so uh, the factory the sample you need to have at least I, I will even take it away. I don't care what you do. You do what you want to do. Here's what we do. We make three samples for master samples. And so we make one uh, for that stays at the factory. Okay. Um, now, and the inspector could carry it around if they want, but most often we'll leave one with the supplier. We leave one with the inspector that they keep off-site. They don't bring it with them. They keep off-site and they keep it safe. Uh, <laughs> hey, everybody, I'm getting a call, but I'm going to decline this. Sorry. So we've got one that we have given to the supplier. We've got one that the inspector keeps off-site, not with the supplier. And then we send one to the company headquarters. So that's three of the same master sample so that we can always refer back to what we said yes to. Now, over time, these uh, – by the way, one of the keys on a master sample is your inspector or your trusted party – initials it, whoever it is. Um, it's best if you do it in China so you don't have to mail the stuff all around the world a couple times, but somebody's got to initial those samples so that the, it's very clearly, like at, at the factory, for example, if you just leave your sample there and you're like, hey, here's my sample, and then you show up next time and the production matches the sample, but something doesn't feel right, it doesn't match your photos or whatever, 
maybe it's not your master sample. So you, you initial it to kind of make a signature on it. Over time, some samples with exposure to light, with exposure to air, any number of uh, environmental factors could modify that, that master sample. So in some cases, um, tapestries, uh, vinyls, woods, things like that, uh, particularly things with surface colorations that you're concerned about, that you may have to uh, put those, make sure that they're stored in dark environments. That will help them last longer. But you still may need to replace those master samples every so often. That's part of your master sample process. It's like, what's the lifespan of this master sample? The answer is one year, two years, uh, five years. It could be whatever it is. Some products are not going to go bad. You know, if you're making a, an aluminum can, this one brought to you by Diet Coke, uh, that's probably not going to go bad regardless of how it's stored um, due to colors and things like that. So you don't have to worry about replacing that. But other things, I don't, I don't have anything handy. But again, things that are fabric, things that are um, exposed to sunlight and have uh, broad spectrums of color, those can absolutely change uh, over time. So part of our inspection process is we hold up the master sample, especially if it's a surface type of product. We take pictures. We make sure it all matches up. Uh, all kinds of different things. I can show you guys a, a, an inspection report later on this week. So that's kind of the the thumbnail sketch of what a master sample process is. I hope that that is helpful. So uh, in any case, that's that's the that's the gist of how we think of product sourcing, and we manage all of that through our product uh, project management system, which, by the way. Uh, I may demonstrate tomorrow on our live call for the product savants, um, just so that everybody can see how much extraordinarily difficult work it is. I mean, it is. If you're going to do a job right, you you know you got to do it. You know, if you're going to do a job, you got to do it right. And it, it, we have high levels of responsibility. We have high standards of accountability, and so it's it's really tough. And whether we're doing this for others or for ourselves. We want to have winners. We want to have economic winners. That's what we're in the business of, really, all of us. Um, whether you're buying the product yourself or sourcing it through some other uh, system, you're, you're trying to buy something that will create a recurring profit stream. That's what we're doing, right? And uh, I think a lot of times people get emotional about it. They fall in love with the product or the concept, or they thought, gosh, if I. If I put this cap on a certain way, oh, you can't even actually see that green because I'm using a green screen. Let's see if I can try a different color. <laughs> it's like if I put this cap on a certain way or this flying saucer-shaped cap, that's going to be a, the secret to my success. And then you find out your customers don't like it. Too many times we get emotional about that stuff. Dismiss the emotion and get with fact. Ask your customers. They will tell you. And honestly, the most <laughs> – uh, the most learning comes from customers when they're kicking you in the uh, in the face, we'll say. And uh, <laughs> Kimberly's got uh, some advice for you. It's not that hard. Just hire Jessica William, and then you're done. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, that's not untrue. Uh, I definitely I have an advantage, and that's be, that I've been doing this for you know sourcing for over twenty years, and I have a a team. And by that that team is is. Um, capable and they are work hard and i try to reward them uh, you know i talked a little bit about hr and the the lead into this podcast but i, I think actually uh, you know ceo's job 
there's three kind of main points. You need to set the strategy. You need to have a good team of people. And it's really your responsibility to, to not just recruit and, and facilitate that team, but to, to keep them plugged in. If you don't retain that team, you're, you're losing experience and wasting all that training time. Um, it, so it, that's a hard part of the job. And then you have to capitalize the company as well, right? So the resources are people, money, and then where are we going? That's what a leader does, right? And this kind of leadership, honestly, it's, it's often overlooked in the Amazon community because we're always on to the next, you know, little uh, hack or tactic. It's like, oh, hey, uh, all you have to do is uh, spell your title backwards and uh, somehow that's going to give you better ranking. And people go, well, you know, that sounds dumb. How could it work? And then somebody goes, I, I, I reversed the title order and spelled everything backwards and, and put it in a yellow font and my sales went up by 2 billion percent. And you're like, oh, well, social proof. Let me try it. Well, what do I got to lose? And I'll tell you what we have to lose is when you chase a million miracle hacks, you don't actually ever set a strategy. You don't actually define what you're building, why you're building it. And, and I think it puts, it puts you at a disadvantage, I'll be honest with you. Uh, there's plenty of people who have different opinions about this. And I, uh, you know, you do listen to whoever you want to. Uh, I don't. I I know nothing about nothing, so don't bother listening to me. But I will tell you that I I think we sit in the chair of leadership, yet we are reluctant leaders. Most of us, um, many of us, myself included, are generally incompetent leaders. And the only remedy to that incompetence, and by the way, I'm saying I'm incompetent. I fully admit it. Uh, but the only remedy, the only thing I can do to cope with that, is to try to get better. Right. And I try to I put myself in certain boxes. I, I try to make myself do things I don't want to do and and work outside of my own comfort zone, because some things that I do naturally, some of the ways I behave naturally, not trying to hurt anybody, not trying to be a bad guy. But people that they, you know, especially uh, staff members, they don't see as uh, me being a, a nice guy or a diligent guy. They are like, oh, well, he didn't even congratulate me on my anniversary with the company. And it's like, gosh, they're right. I didn't. Uh, and I, I don't even know if I can get to that level of uh, positive leadership. But those are the types of things that mean a lot to people, right? If somebody's been with you, I, I've got, you know, more than one person has is, is been with me for 20 plus years. I, I don't know the day of their their hire. I don't know what exact year, but I know they've been with me a long time. And I thank them and I praise them regularly because I really do appreciate them. But I'm not that good at some of these, uh, I don't know, EQ details. Uh, emotional quotient is the EQ uh, acronym, I suppose. So my point is, I ain't that good. Uh, but I'm trying to get better, and I encourage you guys to get better too. So we've got a couple comments here before we run. Uh, JB says, all right, so he's summarizing maybe the three points. He says, where's the ship supposed to go? Who will be on the ship and help operate it? What tools and resources are, uh, will we need to help us to get from here to there? And how do we make sure everybody on board stays engaged and doesn't jump overboard? I think that's a very nice summary, JB. Very nice indeed. Uh, JB is actually an accomplished leader and understands this stuff. And, uh, you know, so I, I definitely appreciate that knowledge. And 
you know, I study and I try to get better and I'm pretty good. I mean, honestly, uh, it's all relative, right? I, I'm not the worst for sure, but it's, a, it's actually a muscle I have to exercise. I'm not, uh, as good. I have many managers who work for me who are far superior managers, but I'm way better at strategy and ideation than them. Right. And that's why it works. Right. They love to manage. They love to develop. They love to kind of do all those things JB just talked about. Right. With the the allocation of resources and identification of tools and and, uh, you know, uh, techniques that are necessary. And they love that engagement and that that kind of, you know, ongoing thing. But I'm far better in the ideation and taking risks. And so all of us have to play to our strengths. And you hear me talk about strengths based leadership pretty often. And I think I'll leave this podcast here. Uh, let me just see if I can find this uh, reference for you. So we did a strengths-based leadership, um, how to use your strengths. And I think I actually also did a book review. Uh, so awesomers.com slash 163. I'll paste that in the chat for those chats, uh, video folks. And if you guys uh, are listening to the audio, awesomers.com 163. That's where I talk a little bit about uh strengths you know how to use your strengths and uh, let's see if i do the strengths-based leadership book review um and it looks like episode number 161 is uh with a special guest who's a strengths-based coach michael binkowski i'm posting that in if that was redundant apologies and then there's uh strengths-based leadership book review i'll give you the youtube link for this one by the way, I don't know if you guys like YouTube or not, but uh, check out the YouTube page. I apologize. I'm looking at the other screen for the video uh, watchers. Um, I haven't really paid attention to it, but here's the YouTube link. Because on the book reviews, I actually do kind of a presentation. I talk about the highlights of the book um, and why things are important to me. So, you know, one of the things I believe as a leader, I got to get good at identifying and leveraging people's strengths instead of trying to force them to do jobs that they shouldn't have to do or jobs that they hate to do or maybe even jobs that they are not that good at, right? Um, that doesn't mean they're not valuable to an organization, but it might mean they're not the right fit for that particular role. So uh, anyway, guys, I think that's it for me. I'm going to post this, uh, any relevant show notes that I happen to come up with at awesomers.com slash 197. This is episode number 197. Click on the uh, the likes and the hearts and the subscribes and the five-star reviews. Uh, I ain't afraid uh, to solicit a five-star review. By the way, if you leave me a, a less than five-star review, that's okay too. Just leave some comments about why I suck, and I'll try to learn and get better. Uh, but uh, I appreciate you guys. I love entrepreneurs. You guys already know this. If you listen to me before, you should know it. That's why I jump on here and, and try to uh, hang out and, and have some fun. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow, 11 a.m. Pacific time. That's U.S. Pacific time uh, with Kevin King. And we're going to talk about the product savants um, and bring all those VIP customers up to speed. If you're not a VIP customer, you can join. But certainly the prioritization for questions will be on those folks. Uh, everybody, thanks very much. We'll see you all later. Thanks one and all. Bye-bye, everybody.